The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Thank you very much. We now have an additional proclamation. We now have an additional introduction, proclamation regarding the Creative Campus Voting Project at the University of Michigan. Please join me. We, uh, we, of course, are accustomed to running, uh, running elections here at the city of Ann Arbor. And we at, here at the table and throughout the city are used to uh, lauding the, uh, the great efforts of, uh, of our clerk, uh, uh, Ms. Jackie Beaudry, and her, her outstanding staff and all of our various volunteers uh, in the course of performing those elections. And we're very proud with their, their administration. However, uh, it is, uh, I think, important and appropriate that we, uh, that we extend thanks uh, because you know, while we do all that we can uh, within the municipal organization, and, uh, and we are, uh, of course, uh, cognizant of the fact that there's a great deal of cooperation and expertise and enthusiasm and excitement and, uh, and, and drive that goes on at the University of Michigan in the course of uh, elections. And uh, it's growing, and it's becoming more and more successful. Uh, and so it is uh, tis meet that we have a proclamation to that effect. And so if you'll forgive me, I'd like to read it now. Uh, Proclamation regarding the Creative Campus Voting Project at the University of Michigan. Whereas the Creative Campus Voting Project partnered with the City of Ann Arbor to open, a, open satellite clerk's office at the University of Michigan for the November 3rd, 2020 presidential election. And whereas they partnered with the City of Ann Arbor to open yet another office at the James and Ann Duderstadt Center for the period of 40 days leading up to the November 8, 2022 midterm election. And whereas the Creative Campus Voting Project, through the direction of Professor Stephanie Rode and Professor Hannah Smarich, implemented design principles from the Stamps School of Art and Design to encourage and increase accessibility of voting participation and provided nonpartisan ballot information for voters. And whereas the Creative Campus Voting Project, staffed by University of Michigan faculty and students, helped facilitate 9,317 voter registrations in Michigan. And whereas those efforts further resulted in 13,109 absentee ballots being cast during the 2020 and 2022 elections. Whereas the Creative Campus Voting Project contributed to a culture of encouraging the civic participation that upholds our democracy by empowering voters. Now, therefore, I, Christopher Taylor, Mayor of Ann Arbor, Michigan, do hereby recognize the remarkable efforts of the campus, pardon me, of the Creative Campus Voting Project at the University of Michigan, lots of C's there, to increase and encourage voting in the service of democracy of the city of Ann Arbor. There you go. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Um, I'm not sure what one says um, for a proclamation. It's, it's our first, but um, we are, are really excited um, to be working in this really unique partnership with um, local government. It is really unique, and I would say our relationship with um, our amazing clerk, Jackie Boudry, and um, boards and um, commissions chair, I hope I have that right, Sarah Alanis, is um, the envy of many <laughs> colleges and universities. And so we are really grateful. All our great ideas are for not without um, this partnership. Thank you so much. Thank you.
We now come to public comment reserve time. Public comment reserve time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council and the community about matters of municipal interest. To speak at public comment reserve time, one needs to have signed up in advance by contacting our city clerk. Speakers have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. We are authorized, only one person is able to speak at each time, uh, and speakers are not authorized to delegate their time to others. Please, as I said, please pay close attention to the time. Uh, the clock will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining and when your time has expired. When your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Our first speaker today is Ken Garber. Thank you, Mayor Taylor. I'm Ken Garber, Ward 2. C1 on your agenda is likely your most important rezoning vote all year. It will make the village project a by right development for planning commission approval. So if you want to see changes, now's the time between now and second reading. My view is this, Ann Arbor needs the housing and Robertson Brothers is a reputable builder. But this is a plan for 1993, not 2023. This developer is stuck in what economists refer to as status quo bias. It does not grasp that the climate emergency dictates that we do everything differently, including construction. The village's for sale homes will be all electric, but the apartments, there will be 320 with more planned, will have gas heat. This directly conflicts with strategy two, action one of the E20 plan, which includes the following assumption, quote, all new residential and commercial buildings are designed and built to operate without the use of natural gas, end quote. And strategy three, action two, quote, all new construction from 2022 to 2030 and beyond is built to net zero energy standards, which includes no natural gas consumption, end quote. Our Office of Sustainability and Innovations reviewed the village last July and wrote this, quote, the use of fossil fuels in any capacity goes against the goals of A20, end quote. I calculate that the, the village's 320 apartments will produce 2,064 metric tons a year CO2 equivalent emissions just from burning gas. That almost cancels out the 2,446 metric tons a year that the city's Enerlogics Solar at City Facilities project will prevent. Gasoline savings from converting commuters to village residents will help, but will only offset about one-fifth the damage. We're told the apartments will be electrification ready, which means that they'll have a 220 volt panel for when it's time to replace the furnace but gas furnaces have a 15 to 20 year lifetime. We can't wait that long for them to fail. And a heat pump for furnace swap often won't work because ducted systems are inefficient. The affordability versus sustainability narrative is a false one. Look at the apartment project at 1815 North Maple. It achieves both. A Robertson Brothers consultant wrote that tenant utility bills would be 20 to 30% higher at the village with electric heat but they used DTE's October 2021 gas rate of 67 cents per therm. That rate is now 89 cents or 33% higher, while electric rates are the same. The operating cost advantage for gas over high efficiency heat pumps is gone, at least for now. Tighter buildings with rooftop solar would ensure affordability. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kathy Griswold. Good evening. It's wonderful to be back on this side of the podium again. Um, I received an email, well actually a text message tonight at 637 from a DTE executive. DTE must be monitoring who's speaking. 
uh, public comment. Making good progress, misdig and permit submitted, working to expedite permit with city staff. If all goes well, we may be able to start work Wednesday or Thursday, weather permitting. This is regarding the mid-block crosswalk on Fuller. That was a site of a fatality in 2016. I stood at this podium three or four times and begged the city to address the lack of lighting. The closest street light was 132 feet away. When the child was killed, the driver was not found at fault because the driver could not have reasonably seen the child in the crosswalk. I submitted a ticket on January 9th of this year after the lights had been out for some time. Now we are getting to the point of contacting Miss Dick. I'm not going to go into all the details, but it is unconscionable for the city of Ann Arbor to not refer street lighting and illumination of crosswalks to the Transportation Commission. For some reason, it belongs to some other department somewhere that seems to be called Kathy Griswold. We have to address this. So tonight I'm talking about DC1, resolution to commence a collaborative planning process regarding the bridge. Obviously, we weren't collaborating and planning until certain people arrived on council. But anyway, given the projected cost increase of over $2 million, we need to look at this from a historical perspective in the, and in the context of the greater need for pedestrian and cycling infrastructure in this community, especially crosswalk illumination. So while we're working on tweaking this bridge one more time, we have hundreds of street lights that are out and hundreds if not thousands of crosswalks without optimal lighting, which is positive contrast lighting. So I've already talked about what's happened at Huron High School. Uh, the DT executive believes that it's two circuits that are um, connected to at least 35 lights. And these circuits, underground circuits, get damaged from all the development and digging and whatever we're doing. And so they may have to restring lighting. Um, in conclusion, I was going to talk a lot more about the University of Michigan and how we're collaborating with them right now, but I'll save that. Please light our crosswalks. Thank you. Our next speaker is Petals Sandcastle. Mayor Petals will be joining us on Zoom. Thank you. Phone number 469, go ahead. Good evening. What do we all want? Love, warmth, shelter, positive role models, benefit of the Clean food and water, books and art supplies and internet. Here, oh, who look like us, will sound like us, but who accept us when we are vulnerable, authentic, when we are no longer pretending, when we are flowing in our naked truth. We all want peers that acknowledge that first is our mission. Hi, my name is Petal Sandcastle, artist and founding director of Express Your Yes Foundation and now studios. My call tonight is in preparation for agenda items coming up on the horizon. In case you didn't hear, Ann Arbor City Council
$500,000 for an arts program, which is all fabulous, and I, I really think you should give a round of applause to everyone who's been involved. And as I've been sitting thinking about these things, it seems to think about the overlap in all of these programs and the mission and the modes of happening. And I start to imagine sacred healers and massage therapists and acupuncturists and hypnotists and art therapists with decades of experience that prove that sometimes just putting some paint in front of someone or challenging them to a daring contest with a pair of soft eyes actually de-escalate very high intensity situations. And so we're calling tonight to consider a new community council, a citizen circle up, a group of cultural ambassadors who are charged with being lubrication for the community to unwind and see itself, to fuse UBI, a universal basic income, with unarmed response, and art. All of these things come together in this beautiful program that we're trying to pull out. And I love you all. And I believe that fun, audacious, creative, healing, fabulous, communal, and individual work is what the heads want wants the centuries of colonial DNA and creating safe space to unzip our spines and step out and to really see each other and dig each other's groove with permission to get it wrong, to move beyond Robert's rules of order and really see each other, to embrace the mess and stick with the moment and pull the band-aids and get to the wounds and heal and transmute the grief and gasoline. I thank you all and bon voyage. Thank you. Our next speaker is Henry Herskovitz. Good evening. On January 27, parts of the world celebrated International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Actually, that was just the official day of remembrance. The real Remembrance Day is every day of the year. And if you don't believe that, merely create for yourself a Google alert on the word Holocaust. The reason for this daily reminding is to fix uh, forever in people's minds the eternal suffering and innocence of the Jewish people. Tonight I'd like to focus on this alleged Jewish innocence. The innocence that is programmed into our minds by Hollywood, the media, campus, statues, and museums throughout America. We are taught that National Socialists of Germany wish to exterminate the Jews for no other reason than that they were Jews. We are taught that Jews did nothing to deserve this alleged extermination and were like innocent lambs being led to slaughter. But maybe in 1933, Jews were not as innocent as we were led to believe. The headline of the March 24th edition of London's Daily Express read, Judea declares war on Germany. Jews in all the world unite in action. From the body of the article, the Jewish wholesaler will quit his house, the banker his stock exchange, the merchant his business, and the beggar his humble hut in order to join the holy war against Hitler's people. And this international call to boycott really was against the German people. Jewish elites knew that the boycott would cause the starvation, the deaths of 30% of Germany's population. A Jewish newspaper called Nasha Resch wrote, 
The war against Germany will be waged by all Jewish communities, conferences, congresses, by every individual Jew. Thereby, the war against Germany will ideologically enliven and promote our interests, which require that Germany be wholly destroyed. Samuel Untermeyer, president of the World Jewish Economic Federation, spewed falsehoods in his hate-driven speeches designed to whip up support for this Jewish-led boycott. He said, Germany has been converted from, excuse me, converted from a nation of culture into a veritable hell of cruel and savage beasts. But in fact, this economic war by Jews against Germany in 1933 occurred long before there was any such thing as sanctions or reprisals of any kind against European Jews. Innocent or warlike, as the Ann Arbor News said today, the past rediscovered. Thank you. Our next speaker is Blaine Coleman. I'm not here to talk about European history tonight. All of my ancestors in Poland were murdered by Hitler. That's a fact. I can't find any of them. And in my mind, Israel is exactly the same as Nazi Germany. Exactly the same. Racist mass murderers. And they prove it every day. Even down to the level, even down to the level of training American police forces, for example, the top brass of the Memphis Police Department got training in Israel, for God's sake. Read the article in The Intercept. You should be helping us. The new, and you see, you see that now Tyree Nichols is dead, beaten to death by Memphis police. I'm not ready to pat the Memphis police on the back. By the way, while your tax dollars turbocharge the Israeli military, Israel is shooting and bombing its way across occupied Palestine, leaving behind a pile of dead Palestinian bodies, which you are responsible for. You have been blocking the resolution against military aid to Israel for years. Racist dogs that you are. While a guy named Ben Gavir is now Israel's racist national security minister. He appeared, he appeared in a political cartoon which landed in council member Jen Ayer's hands last meeting. That cartoon showed Ayer sporting a dog collar, riding with Biden and Ben Gavir. And when you consider how much money she got from old friends of the Israel Defense Forces for her campaign, that cartoon was not too far off, was it? How dare you take money for your campaign from old friends of the Israel Defense Forces while the IDF murders Palestinians? Council Member Iyer, how dare you? Only a racist goddamn dog would do something like that, in my opinion. And of course, Iyer went crazy when she saw that cartoon. She tore it up. 
She went batshit crazy. She threw the pieces all over the carpet, proving herself to be really, in my opinion, an incontinent dog for the apartheid state of Israel coming soon to a carpet near you. Vote her out at the next election. Our next speaker is Mojan Savabia Safani. Uh, as we were talking about the violence that Israel generates and perpetuates and disseminates, finds its, its ways to the streets of America and it kills. Tyre Nichols is a victim of Israel crime and Israel violence. Policemen in Memphis, Tennessee, the high-ranking policemen there, were trained in Israel. That is how filthy Israel is. And if you want to know how terrible people of Palestine feel, I want you to revisit the videos of Tyre Nichols in the hands of those hyenas killing him. And remember, children of Palestine are suffering that same torture every single day of the week with US tax dollars. United States gives billions of dollars each year. Four billion a year goes to Israeli government, which makes it into bullets and bombs and torture on Palestinian people. And I myself have been coming here for 20 years asking these people here who look like human beings, but in effect, if someone turns its back to the dying children of Palestine after they've been given opportunity time and time again to speak up and protect them, and they haven't, are they human beings? In my opinion, they are less than dogs, poor dogs. I don't want to offend dogs. This mayor here, he's a racist against people of Palestine. He has time and time again protected Israel. This woman, Janayer, she is a racist dog. Children of Palestine are dying while you sit and turn a cold shoulder and blind eyes to the death and destruction of Palestinians. Year after year, that makes you a racist. What they did to Tyre, they do to Palestinian people every day of the week. On your watch, you are racist. I demand again and again, say the simplest thing, we are against military aid to Israel. Save your own humanity and save the lives of many Palestinians who suffer the fate of Tyre every day of the week. That is every day of the week, ma'am. Every day of the week they die in the hands of dogs worse than the police in Memphis. This town has hundreds and thousands of people who have come here, who have demanded action against Israel. Yet you guys do nothing. Year after year, 20 years, since 1980s, people have been coming here asking for action against Israel. And we have boiled it down to the simplest sentence. We are against military aid to Israel. Say it or be called dogs and racists. We now come to the consent agenda. We have a, whoops. No, we do not. We now come to communications from council. I'm just so excited about the consent agenda. You don't speak loud enough, Mr. Mayor. Are you scared? Ma'am? You should be. You should be scared of the wrath of people. 
Are there communications today from Council? Louder. Councilmember Harrison. What did I do, he asked. What did I do, At Tyree Nichols asked on January 7th, as Memphis police officers mercilessly brutalized and beat him during a traffic stop. I just want to get home, said Tyree Nichols. Yet another black person killed by law enforcement in an unthinkably violent display of viciousness. As a black woman and the mother of black sons, I mourn for Tyree and feel grief for Tyree's mother who will never again hold her beautiful son or feel the joy of watching Tyree raise his son. Police use of force is the sixth, sixth leading cause of death for young black men. Too many of these incidences are happening all over our country. Something that we should all agree on is that a traffic stop shouldn't resolve in anyone being beaten, much less killed and that bad policing shouldn't be happening anywhere in America. This is a public safety issue. We all want to be safe. We all want to make it home. We as leaders cannot turn away when we see the people entrusted to protect and serve our communities behave in this manner. We have got to dismantle the systems that allow police officers to dehumanize individuals. It is time for significant lasting change. I will continue to lift up the family of Tyree Nichols, and my heart goes out to his family, friends, and the community. And I am calling on Congress to pass the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. On another note, um, I just want to thank those that came out to my constituent coffee hour that I held a couple of weeks ago, and I'd like to announce that I'm holding another one. Um, my next to constituent, Ward 1 constituent coffee hour is um, on February, Tuesday, February 21st uh, at 5 o'clock p.m. Uh, at Zingerman's Next Door Cafe. Councilman Breyer. Thank you. Um, I wanted to make a couple of comments about a memo from the city administrator. Um, that is in our packet this evening. This is relating to the prevailing wage um, compliance checks that uh, council, just a little bit of background here. Um, of course, the city of Ann Arbor requires all contractors that we hire for public improvements projects to pay the local prevailing wage, uh, which is essentially the local union wages for skilled craft uh, and craft labor. Um, and uh, in 2016, this, uh, well, the, not this body, but city council uh, passed a resolution asking the uh, city administrator at the time to do cross checks with uh, the contractor's um, certified payroll. And uh, last year, uh, it was determined uh, by staff to discontinue this practice because they had only found one um, violation in five years. Um, now, instead of doing that, this body took a different step. We um, decided to uh, add the practice of periodic uh, random spot checks on site uh, where our city staff are interviewing people about their wages. They're doing wage rate interviews. Um, this is considered a best practice in the industry. And um, as this memo notes, 
Um, in this past construction season, 24 violations were found. So we went from one violation in five years using the payroll records to 24 violations in one season, uh, which is really significant. Um, I have additional questions. I think this merits some follow-up. I did ask the city administrator today for a couple of pieces of information, the list of contractors who had the violations. Um, I'm particularly concerned about the ones who um, have unresolved violations at this point. And, you know, it's concerning that there were 17 contractors that didn't know the correct wage rate. I don't know if that means they didn't know it was a prevailing wage job or, or what happened there. But we need to make sure they're getting the right information. Um, and I'd also further like to investigate what other municipalities do when contractors fail to comply, um, fail to remedy such issues, or uh, are repeat offenders. Um, are, are they, do we levy fines? Uh, do we consider disbarment from future bidding? Um, given the scope of the violations that were uncovered this year, I think we need to think about the consequences um, that we want to uh, levy. And, um, you know, I just would summarize by saying I, I think that uh, 24 is probably more indicative of what's been happening all along. Um, so I'm really pleased that council took that action last year. And um, I think this shows that we need to be um, doing this indefinitely into the future. Councilmember Adina. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, just briefly a reminder that uh, Councilmember Ghazi Edwin and I have a coffee hour coming up on February 19th at 11 a.m at Argus uh, Cafe on Packard. Thanks. Further communication from Council. Councilmember Song. I just want to um, thank Chair Francis Tadora Hargraves from ICPOC for running in a, a very thoughtful and strategic, um, strategic meeting with um, uh, ICPOC members a couple weekends ago. Um, it was a an opportunity to reflect on ICPOC's uh, past work and future work. Um, I thought it was a meaningful event in that I was, it was also the same day that um, Asian Americans across the state had convened in Madison Heights to reflect on the shootings in Monterey Park um, and Half Moon Bay and to do this work here in Ann Arbor with our police oversight committee and talking about uh, what does safety mean, um, how we can how we can respond to community um, to community in uh, in a timely fashion uh, reminded us that one thing that we had committed to the city had committed to was quarterly reports on traffic enforcement. So that was a commitment we made last year, and uh, Chair Tadora Hargraves and I have already put out a, um, sent out a message to city administrator city administrator Dahoney and trying to see if we can follow up on that commitment with quarterly data on traffic enforcement. Um, also in regards to DTE outages, I, was, uh, I just want to thank city staff for responding to per, a permit to DTE within hours of receiving that today. Uh, this is uh, in on Long Gettys and here on Parkway uh, by Huron High School. So um, I feel like we have some improvement to be made. I'll be working with Council Member Travis Redina on this. But uh, thank you to city staff for getting that permit out and it looks like we'll have those outages addressed by Wednesday. Councilmember Cornell. Thank you. Um, I want to follow up on an item from our last meeting in terms of um, the Main Street resurfacing and concerns for um, making sure that the businesses there had the support that they needed. Um, I think that one of the things that has come out of it that really speaks to the um, camaraderie and 
um, the togetherness that the businesses and our small business owners feel is that the businesses affected by the State Street project are sharing their best practices. Um, they actually have them documented and sharing them with the Main Street area businesses to give them um, a leg up on what to expect as well as how um, they successfully marketed and, and um, executed business uh, practices during that time, including um, you know setting up curbless pickups at either end of the closure. So um, I just I thought that that was really cool to see in our town. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to mention really briefly is that um, follow up from the last meeting, the Conquer the Cold Challenge is on Sunday. This ends on the 10th, um, although you do have till I think the 19th to enter all of your miles in. So please get that done if you're participating. Um, and then on Sunday, the 12th, the Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. at Connor O'Neill's for people who have um, participated. Um, we will be there, words four and five, <laughs> council members to um, celebrate the end of Conquer the Cold and the successful challenge that it presented. And I just wanted to express gratitude for um, the proprietors, um, Tom Murray of Connor O'Neill's for allowing us use of that space for this community gathering. So hope to see you there. Council, uh, Council Bradish. Thank you, I just have a little announcement. Um, about uh, on Wednesday, February 22nd from 6 to 8 p.m., the A20 Sustainability Series will be partnering with the Ann Arbor Citizens Climate Lobby to present a panel called Housing and Transportation, What's the Climate Connection? As we know, housing and transportation together account for 42% of our emissions, and we need to dramatically reduce our vehicle miles traveled as Conquer the Cold is helping us do. It's also apparently giving us a few warm days, as we saw this weekend, um, and we need to make our buildings more efficient. So please come. You can show up at the public library or um, you can register for to participate uh, virtually, so it's a hybrid event. And just go to the Office of Sustainability and Innovation website to find the, play, the way to do to register for the Zoom link. Further communication from Council. Uh, I'd like to recommend the following nominations for your consideration to the Elizabeth Dean Fund Committee, Brooks Curtis to the Local Officers' Compensation Commission. Diane Height, further, uh, I'd like to identify for you a resolution to appoint William Conley and Maya Curtis. Uh, I was on the, uh, uh, last week, uh, delighted and proud to be able to you know, represent Ann Arbor at the, uh, the, at the White House in the Executive Office Building in connection with the kickoff of uh, the Biden-Harris's White House-led uh, service line replacement partnership, and it's an opportunity for jurisdictions uh, and authorities. Ma'am, please do not. Ma'am, you are being disruptive. It's an opportunity for members, uh, you know, to uh, uh, members of the partnership and others to talk about uh, and share best practices with respect to lead service lines, uh, and uh, and to work together to accelerate their uh, their replacement. Uh, it's a problem that affects uh, people throughout uh, throughout our country, uh, with respect, uh, and it's uh, of course the uh, the consequences of lead uh, in pipes is uh, is asymmetric. Uh, it, the neediest among us, the the least privileged among among us, are all too often those who suffer uh, who suffer the most. 
Uh, here in Ann Arbor, uh, you know, we uh, we stand on the soldier on the we stand on the shoulders of uh, of municipal giants. Um, people uh, decades ago identified the problem with lead service pipes and took uh, efforts over the course of years to remove uh, municipal lead service pipes. And I'm pleased to, uh, to remind members of the public that back in 2016 we took out our last public side lead lead service line uh, during the course of our uh, during the course of our smart meter uh, installation, we were able to inventory private side lines and have identified approximately uh, 1,300 galvanized pipes which, uh, are, which require addressing because of their soldering. Uh, we have ourselves been able to address 300 or so of those, thanks in no small part to uh, the American Rescue Plan funding that Ann Arbor received. Uh, and we are looking to remove the remaining uh, galvanized pipes uh, on the private side of the fence uh, by 2030. That is uh, you know, where Ann Arbor stands on lead service lines and, uh, and uh, I'm just delighted to, again, I participated in the event. It's an important one for, uh, for our country and it's important that, uh, that Ann Arbor make its, um, uh, uh, make, the, make its successes known because we have a lot to be proud for uh, in this area. We now have before us the consent agenda. May I have a motion, please, to approve the consent agenda moved by Councilmember Deere, seconded by Councilmember Adina. Discussion of the consent agenda. Councilmember Briggs. Okay, I, just, I just have a quick comment um, around CA6, which is the adoption of the Board of Review Guidelines for Property Exemptions from Property Tax, which um, I'm very supportive of. Um, I would just ask that staff might take a look at our website. I know when I googled this it was pretty hard to come upon these documents and then when you do come upon the documents um, it's not it's not exactly plain English that describes what it is that you need to do so I think we could um, look to um, improve some of the language around that and then also when they're um, linked to the county's website there isn't any guidance at all um, whereas other municipalities do have guidance linked to their forms. So um, I think what we're doing is great and we just, just need to explain it a little bit more clearly. Further discussion? Councilor Song. I'd also like to comment on CA6. Um, about a year or two ago, I'll have to remember when, um, I did ask staff to make sure that the applications were available in different languages. Uh, and as during the pandemic somewhere in the past two years, it was made available in all the library branches in I think about three or four different languages, and I hope that's still the case, but, but otherwise I'm in support. Further discussion? All in favor of the consent agenda, please say aye. Opposed, the consent is approved with how many? Nine members count, nine members present, thus uh, with all voting in the affirmative, thus satisfying the eight vote requirement with respect to CA5. We now come to a set of public hearings. Public hearings are opportunities for members of the public to speak to council and the community about the specific subject matter of the public hearing. Speakers need not have signed up in advance, but the speech at the public hearing must relate to the subject matter of the public hearing. That is to say, this, the related item on the agenda. Speakers have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. Our clerk will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining and when your time has expired. When your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Public hearing number one, an ordinance to amend sections 5.22.2 and 5.22.3 of chapter 55, Unified Development Code of Title V of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor. Is there anyone who would like to speak at this public hearing?
Ms. Boudry, is there anyone online? Mayor, I don't see anyone on Zoom with their hand up. See no one, this public hearing is closed. Public hearing number two, an ordinance to amend chapter 103, historic preservation of title eight of the code of the city of Ann Arbor by adding sections eight, 425.15, establishing the Robert and Irma Hayden House Historic District, 1201 Gardner Avenue. Is there anyone who would like to speak at this public hearing? Please come right on up, sir. I, I submitted this proposal. Uh, I was made to uh, Mr. and uh, Mrs. Hayden's uh, daughter, their only child, and uh, Mr. Hayden was the first African-American poet laureate of the Library of Congress. I believe Rita Dove was this, the first woman. This was in the 70s. He served two terms uh, as the, He served the two terms as the poet lariat. He won the Hot Woods twice. Uh, actually, uh, he was a Baha'i, as, as I am, and as my mother-in-law and my wife. And uh, what I'm uh, most proud of was that not only he is one of the I'm a writer. I'm writing a book about my mother-in-law now. Everybody writing books about Mr. Hayden. I'm writing a book about my mother-in-law. And uh, he was one of the best poets in the world, and still is. And, and during uh, uh, the African-American uh, Black Power Movement, the writers dated themselves. That's what I was saying, don't feed. All hate passes. Love is the only thing that endures. And that's a fact. That's a religious and scientific fact. And the rest of it just fades. And, and that's what happens with his writing. All, that, all those writers faded. And his writing endured. And because he studied the craft. He didn't study the people. He studied the craft. So uh, I just... Uh, I know this is going to cost me more money that I don't have, you know, but I, I love that woman. And she helped save my life. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to speak at this public hearing? Ms. Boudreaux, is there anyone online who would like to speak at this public hearing? Mayor, I don't have any callers on the line with their hands up. Seeing no one, this public hearing is closed. Public hearing number three. An ordinance to amend chapter 55, zoning. Rezoning of 0.19 acres from R4C, multifamily dwelling district, to PUD, planned unit development district. 530 North Division Street zoning and supplemental regulations. Is there anyone who'd like to speak at this public hearing? Just come right on up.
Hi, Sarah Ely, 1413 Shadford Road. I've owned my historic house at uh, 524 North Division Street for 40 years. I lived there for 12 years with my family and have plans to return there. My house shares a south property line with 530 North Division Street. Um, I'm opposed and protest the PUD. R4C zoning limits multifamily housing to three units. Both properties, 530, 524, are zoned R4C. However, the only plan Mr. Selby submitted was a non-zone compliant four units, one more unit than R4C allows. When that failed to make it through the planning department, he applied in 2022 for a, a PUD with the stated purpose of removing the existing 3,333 3, square feet building, replacing it with an 8,000 square foot four unit building. This timeline shows an attempt to usurp R4C rights of others. It's not allowed under the Unified Development Code. I think Mr. Selby was wasting the planning department's time, council's time, my time, my attorney's time, and will waste court time. I see the 530 proposal as greed camouflaged by green. The property owner to the north is an attorney. He gets three feet of setback. I'm not an attorney, nor is my husband. We get none. Our seasonal storage bin that I've used for 40 years will be taken away. I am now made to share a driveway. I have no place to put the snow. The perennials lining the driveway are gonna be taken away. Our daughter helped plant those when she was six. If Mr. Selby had approached the project correctly the first time, we would not be here tonight. And if an 8,000 square foot building can prove net zero, then a building half the size with the same solar footprint can also be net zero without a zoning change. I request you, Mr. Taylor, to approach Mr. Selby and request that he produce a building plan that fits R4C and ask Mr. Selby to stop wasting our time. Please stop the PUD. Thank you all. Thank you. Good evening. My name is Chris Crockett. I'm president of the Old Fourth Ward Association where this project is sitting, will sit. Um, over the past few years, Doug Selby has met with the executive committee of the Old Fourth Ward Association many times to outline his plans, which ultimately culminated in a PUD. He gave us endless reasons why the current building is not sustainable, that it's barely holding together, probably just from uh, just because it's used to holding together, and how something that is larger in scale could benefit both the neighborhood in terms of attractiveness and also add to more units of housing in the neighborhood. Preservationists don't take kindly very often to these kinds of proposals, but we had many respectful discussions with Doug Selby, and we came to realize that his plan was a good one, 
a sound one. Um, we all live in historic houses, and we love our historic houses and all the history of our community that they embody. These two houses present an unusual case for us because they were two buildings that were just kind of band-aided together at some point in time. They were never a single house. And Doug Selby did extensive research to come to the conclusion that this would be probably the best solution in terms of making this particular building usable into the 21st century. Uh, for that reason, we supported the project before the Historic District Commission. We also supported the project uh, when it went to the Planning Commission, and we support the project here before City Council. We've not always been happy about PUDs. We vigorously opposed what has ended up now as a hotel in the Historic District on Glen Street. We were adamantly opposed to that. It wasn't housing. It's a vanity project, but this is housing, and we need housing in our neighborhood, and we think that this is a good project, and we support it. Thank you. Good evening. I'm Jeff Crockett, um, communications officer of the Old Fourth Ward Association, and I'm here to speak in favor of this project. Doug has taken all the right steps. He has met with us numerous times, received our feedback, incorporated that feedback, gone to the Historic Commission, got approval for that. <clears throat> I would like to point out that this project is one of a number of projects where we have approved increased density in the area. Uh, there's the Garnett. Um, there is a fascinating project coming up in a couple weeks uh, at 511 and that you're going to see. And it took a house that was nearly destroyed and is putting an addition on the back in a sensitive way. And the reason why we're in favor of it, it doesn't disturb the front view. It's the addition goes on the back, but it maintains the historic integrity of the front and the neighborhood. Um, there's a house in Detroit Street we were in favor of. Uh, but we like the creativity and we like the fact that he's connected with us, so we are speaking in favor of this project. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Doug Selby. I just wanted to say a couple words about this project, which we're calling the bridge. <clears throat> From its inception, we wanted this project to be an example. Uh, we wanted it to be carbon neutral in operation, which is actually pretty tricky on such a small site. Um, Buildings also produce a lot of carbon in construction, though, so uh, to a pretty great extent, we're deconstructing the building and reusing as many of the elements as we can. Also, we have a pretty extensive curated list, almost entirely, of recycled, uh, uh, non-toxic, uh, or sustainably manufactured project, uh, products. All of them are non-toxic. Um, can't really go through all the green features here tonight, or we'd be here for a few hours, but um, what I can say is that this project is a pretty impressive piece of engineering and it's legitimately one of the world's most sustainable buildings. Um, we designed it to fit into the streetscape and scale uh, and design, make a nice piece of architecture. Um, I appreciate the strong support of the old Fourth Ward Association and I appreciate the ideas that they came up with to make it better. 
we also want it to be an educational tour with a tool with tours and seminars on site and videos that explain these advanced technologies, not just how they work, but also how they're installed. Uh, we'll be working with the Skill Bridge program, which retrains exiting armed force forces member in construction uh, in, in the construction industry. We hope to work with the Ann Arbor Student Builder Program. These are high school kids who build houses as part of their curriculum. Um, we desperately need this next generation of construction workers to be up to speed on this type of emerging construction technology. And we want this to be a place for hands-on learning. Uh, passive buildings can offer a better long-term return on investment for developers, and we want that to be out there so that people will be incentivized to do this more. Um, we also wanted it to be repeatable and hopefully scalable so that more people will build deep energy buildings. I know this is just a tiny drop in the bucket, um, but it doesn't really amount to much unless we can use it as a springboard to make this type of construction much more commonplace. Um, it's hard to talk about our climate emergency as a scientist without sounding hysterical, but you know, gosh darn it, I just feel like we need to start uh, following our intent with meaningful actions. And um, uh, buildings are a huge part of the problem, and we need to be incentivizing people to retrofit and rebuild all electric buildings uh, that can become carbon neutral. I know you can't make people, all the, everybody happy all the time, uh, but uh, I'm sure you guys know that better than most, as well as the city staff. But um, I, uh, I do see that we need to move forward in a way that creatively tackles these problems if we're going to um, tackle the biggest crisis that humankind has ever seen. So time for business as usual, just in my opinion, just has to be over. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else who would like to speak at this public hearing? Ms. Boudry, is there anyone online? Or I don't have any callers online with their hands up. Seeing no one, this public hearing is closed. Public hearing number four, resolution to approve 530 North Division uh, Street PUD site plan. Is there anyone who'd like to speak at this public hearing? Thank you, Mayor Taylor. Ken Garber again. This is the same project, but we're talking about the site plan, not the rezoning. Um, a few minutes ago, you heard me oppose fossil fuels in the village project. It's a real pleasure for me now to support 530 North Division without reservation. This is a rental that's built to passive house standards and more importantly, to living building challenge standards. In other words, it's a building that produces more energy than it consumes. All electric, of course, no gas, with extensive rooftop solar and battery storage, but with a very tight building envelope that breathes using ERV energy recovery ventilation. As Mr. Selby commented, it will employ recycled and ecologically friendly materials and will reuse as much original building material as possible. It employs modular construction. Um, and according to the site plan, Oh, excuse me, one more thing. Um, it will keep and reuse all the stormwater on site. Um, the site plan indicates that this will be one of the most sustainable buildings in the country, but not one of the most expensive. Mr. Selby has said in the past that he doesn't think a net zero building should increase the rental rates beyond market value. Uh, by adding the rear addition but keeping the same number of units for the rents will certainly go up 
along with the additional floor space, but the larger units will accommodate more people. And there, would, there will be much lower utility bills for tenants given the tight building envelope and rooftop solar. Overall, this is a transformational plan for a building that, as Mr. Selby hopes, should be a model for rental housing, not just locally, but nationally. Thank you. Is there anyone else would like to speak at this public hearing? Just come on right on up. Um, I just, hi again. <laughs> I just wanted to address another topic tonight, which is affordability. Um, I'm a member of Equitable Ann Arbor, which has as a core value that if you work in Ann Arbor, you should be able to live in Ann Arbor. Uh, these apartments are a market rate. I can't make them affordable and cover the cost of construction. And since uh, starting entitling this project over five years ago, um, the cost of what it will take to make me be able to break even on this has risen about 600 bucks per bedroom. It's a lot. And um, it kind of keeps me up at night, but the alternative is to keep throwing good money after bad with a building that is just um, uh, pretty badly compromised. Um, I think this council understands more than uh, most that um, in order to keep our city vibrant and dynamic, that means we need a lot more housing, especially if we want to be inclusive with our housing. Um, and if sustainability and affordability are problems the city wants to tackle, we have to address one of the root causes, and that one is that uh, one of them is that it's way too difficult and costly to build in Ann Arbor. Outcomes can be very unpredictable. Uh, ultimately, taxpayers pay for that, and it makes our city less affordable and less, um, less possible to meet our city's challenges and population growth. And it also freezes out small local developers. Um, uh, high cost and unpredictability of entitlement can make it too risky. So I know it's really easy to complain about government and uh, bureaucracies and things like that, but there's uh, a lot of stuff the city could do to make this work better. And um, just one small example is uh, using the PUD uh, 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 designation to cut through a lot of the red tape and offer people an incentive if they will come up with exemplary products at the uh, uh, pr uh, projects that the uh, the city is looking for. Um, also, uh, I think it would be a strong incentive for developers, and the city would get better developments faster, and you'd probably foster more trust between the city and the building and development community. Um, Post-pandemic, a lot of organizations are sort of reassessing their policies to see what's relevant still and what's a relic. And um, uh, I am heartened to see that the city seems to be having these conversations now. Uh, we, have, we do have a long way to go, though. And um, I think we all have to change and adapt to the way we've historically done things if we want to meet this enormous challenge. Um, and certainly, I can tell you the building industry is no exception to that. Um, so, but I, I want to leave this one thought is that I would say that a carrot is always a more uh, powerful than a stick if for bringing about long-lasting positive change. And I urge uh, you to use this opportunity and time to work with us to create more win-win situations. Thank you. Is there anyone else who'd like to speak at this public hearing? Ms. Boudry? Mayor, there's no one on the um, call with their hands up. Seeing no one, this public hearing is closed. We have before us the regular session meeting minutes of January 23rd, 2023. May I have a motion please to approve these minutes. Moved by Councilmember Ackman, seconded by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion of the minutes. All in favor? Opposed? The minutes are approved. B 
an ordinance to amend sections 5.22.2 and 5.22.3 of Chapter 55, Unified Development Code of Title V of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor. Moved by Councilmember Dish, second by Councilmember Adina. Discussion, please, of B1. Councilmember Briggs. I did submit a question somewhat belatedly to staff. I don't know if, if I should repeat it or if there's a. Mr. Dahoney? I'm sorry, I, I couldn't hear what you said. Oh, I said I submitted a question quite belatedly to staff. I'm not sure if, if I should repeat the question right now or if, if somebody's already prepared a, a response. I'm happy to repeat it. Perhaps. This particular item, uh, I believe Brett Leonard is available. Okay. So, and I'll just, so my question essentially is um, all these uh, changes make sense to me. There's just one change that was in, um, that I have questions about regarding subsection C as that was in the planning staff report that, to planning commission regarding the changes to um, what happens when it's um, infeasible to meet the full detention volume requirement um, and how that that section has been shifted. So previously, and staff has suggested that that's to make it more flexible. Um, now previously, um, we had in our standards that if you couldn't meet that um, volume requirement that um, either land or you know, money had to be provided to the city. Um, and it appears that we are removing that requirement now. And so I'm trying to understand why, how that connects with the other elements of the changes that we're making, because the other ones are making it more stringent. Whereas if I'm reading this correctly, this is, this is making it a little bit weaker and I'm trying to understand um, that rationale. Mitchell Leonard. Mayor, I think Alexis DeLeo from planning is available. Ah, perfect. Well, Mr. Mayor and Council, I am available, but better even is Jerry Hancock, the stormwater and fluid land program coordinator. Third time's the charm, Mr. Hancock. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this, the section that is being asked about, um, was written into code about 20 years ago, and it's only been used once. Um, and uh, the rest of the, the items in that section are get at if, if there really are um, site constraints that prevent someone from uh, being able to provide full detention. And in some cases, it may be the stormwater professionals who don't want um, uh, stormwater to be provided to their full extent. And cases like Groundwater contamination or um, soil contamination or high groundwater, um, or at the very end of a watershed where you could actually exacerbate flooding by introducing a detention basin into that area. So um, the section um, previously was asking for money in the place uh, to instead of uh, the detention. Um, so the change is actually very similar to something that's already a city policy. We have Green Street's policy that has some of the same wording uh, and the same process of allowing staff to make the decision to not um, provide full detention when site constraints don't make sense. So the, um, 
the idea of not taking money, I don't think it's, it's, um, it's not being used. That section was, I, I think, poorly conceived. I wrote it, but I was directed to write it. Um, <laughs> and so I would, I would like to make it something that is useful to the stormwater staff. Okay. Thank you. That's that is helpful. I mean, my, I guess just to add on to that, um, you mentioned this has only been used once in the past 20 years. And I know that that was in the staff report. Um, my sense is, as we develop further, um, we may find need increasing need for this. Um, so it sounds like that's possible. I don't anticipate it being used very much, but you're right. As sites are more difficult, then we and maybe use more. In fact, there is a situation that came up since this was proposed uh, where we are going to use it in the next few weeks. It was a situation where uh, the groundwater turned out to be different than what was initially uh, determined when they investigated the site. And so there's a, a new detention basin that doesn't function exactly like it's supposed to. Um, and this change will allow us to get some modifications to that basin uh, without having to go through a variance process. Councilmember Dish. Thank you. I want to thank uh, my colleague, Councilmember Briggs, for asking that question and also for noting that um, the other provisions that we are voting on here do make our rules more stringent, and they do so because uh, we were required to remove some exemptions from our existing ordinance by the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. And we are asked to make these changes as, a, as part of qualifying for our National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System permit, the NPDES permit, which is required under the Federal Clean Water Act. So this change here is being motivated by federal requirements that we have to meet. It does make our rules more stringent in general, except for the one that you brought up, which is great. And uh, I wanted to let you know that you may have noticed that we received a late amendment to this item. And I wanted to say that the changes are not substantive. They change stormwater from two words to one, <laughs> which is apparently a best practice in case you have occasion to use that word. And then there are a couple of other things that I will not mention. Is that a amendment that requires a, that's very good. It's a, I don't know that it was a late amendment. It was a late, we was updated. It's not something that we need to vote on. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. It's in the document. Thank you, my apologies. Late amendment made me. Perfect. Further discussion? All in favor? All opposed? It is approved. B2, an ordinance to amend Chapter 103, Historic Preservation, Title 8 of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor, by adding 8425.15, establishing the Robert and Irma Hayden House Historic District, 1201 Gardner Avenue, moved by. Uh, Councilmember Dish, may Councilmember Harrison discussion, please, of B2. Uh, for my part, I would like to, you know, thank uh, those who brought this to our attention, by all means, and uh, thank to, of course, uh, staff and the uh, the historic uh, 
district committee who has uh, investigated uh, and, and reviewed the, uh, the the request and the suggestion that this that this important house be uh, be made into an historic district. Uh, Professor Hayden and his wife are, of course, uh, in Arborites for you know more than a decade, and we're very proud to have them uh, as residents of the fourth ward on Gardner, and it's. Uh, proper and appropriate that we acknowledge their place in uh, in Arbor history, as indeed uh, we uh, we acknowledge and honor their place in American history. That's uh, an outstanding thing that we're doing here, and I'm just uh, delighted that it is uh, it's our collective opportunity, and wish to express gratitude again uh, to those who brought it forward. Further discussion. All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. B3, an ordinance to amend the Chapter 55 zoning, rezoning of 0.19 acres from R4C multifamily dwelling district to PUD, planned unit development district, 530 North Division Street, zoning and supplemental regulations. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Song. Discussion, please, of B3. Councilmember Dish. All we are asked to do at this moment in the meeting is to rezone 530 North Division from R4C to PUD. We will be voting on the site plan later in the meeting, and I will have a few more things to say then, but I've already spoken about this project, so there's not much left to say. But I do want to clarify that the um, current structure is a non-conforming structure in R4C that currently contains four dwelling units, but only provides 10 bedrooms. As Christine Crockett said, this is housing. The proposed project will contain four dwelling units, but will provide 24 bedrooms. So this is a densification project, achieves greater density on an existing lot. Uh, we are asked at this moment to vote only on the rezoning to PUD, which has been requested in order to modify building setbacks, conflicting land use buffers, driveway width, landscaping, and open space requirements. But the PUD zoning, as Mr. Garber pointed out, allows the city in its turn to require an energy efficient and sustainable building. Gas hookup is prohibited in the supplemental regulations for this PUD. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. C1, ordinance to amend chapter 55 zoning zoning of six point, pardon me, six, seven point six acres from TWP Township District and R1C Single Family Dwelling District to R4A Multifamily Dwelling District, 160, 160 Duvarin Road, 1701, 1710 Duvarin Road, 2670 Pontiac Trail, 2672 Pontiac Trail, 2678 Pontiac Trail, and 2682 Pontiac Trail. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Rodina. Discussion, please, of C1. Councilmember Dish. This project reclaims a former landfill site that has gone neglected and undeveloped for decades. It will create 484 units of housing, a mix of owner-occupied townhomes that will be fully electric, and apartment rentals that will be offered at multiple price points. Mr. Garber is correct that it is not a perfect project. The apartment rentals will be heated and cooled with gas. Um, I, they, uh, I'm sorry, 
and despite that, they will be outfitted with energy-efficient electric appliances, which is a good thing, and the furnaces will be sized with conversion for conversion to electric, which is not as good as, them, as having them start out with electric. Yes, that's right. But we have no... Um, yes. We would be missing out on housing, a significant amount of housing, and we would m be missing out on the reclaiming of a landfill site that can't that would not be able to be used for housing without the work that this developer has done to figure out how to vent off the methane that makes uh, and that would otherwise make it dangerous. And so no one has been willing to touch this project because it's expensive to do the research and the work that they've done. So I I understand the objections. I share some of the frustration, but I believe that staff worked hard to make this a project that provides some good trade-offs. And we are, I'm afraid, friends, in the business of trade-offs. So I hope you will vote for it. Further discussion? Councilmember Briggs. Yeah. I appreciate, um, I know we've, um, appreciate Mr. Garber's comments and others that we've received around this project. Um, but I also think it's important to look at this through the lens of what it means to rezone. Um, and in my opinion, rezoning isn't, um, unless we're talking about a PUD, it's, it's not our opportunity to um, It's not permission to try to get everything that we desire out of a project. Um, you know, we, we need to look at whether it's consistent with our comprehensive land, um, with our plan, with our with our compatible with our zoning and the other areas. And, and from my perspective, this is um, the what I what I have appreciated as well throughout this process is um, the effort that this developer has made to. Um, come to the table with a number of additional elements, um, particularly the sustainability elements. And so this project has improved um, from a variety of different ways um, throughout the process. And while I would as well like to see it um, have other elements as well, I, I don't think our the role of us during this process is, is to make it a perfect project. Um, so I, I will be supporting it tonight. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. C2, Ordinance to Amend Chapter 112, Non-Discrimination, Sections 9150, 9151, 9155, and 9156 of Title IX of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor, moved by Councilmember Dina, second by Councilmember Saul. And discussion, please, of C2. Councilmember Dina. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I will be relatively brief since this is still first reading, and I know that my ward colleague, uh, Councilmember Ghazi Edwin, will have much to say when she returns uh, to us, hopefully uh, fully recovered. Uh, but this is uh, a, an amendment to our non-discrimination ordinance uh, that would add uh, government-issued identification cards to the list of uh, prohibited discrimination. Um, this is, this is something that was brought to the commission uh, largely through the work of Commissioner Keita Cowan, who, who has done a significant amount of work in this area. Um, the commission has received complaints of uh, individuals who try to use, specifically the Washtenaw ID is the one that, that has become 
uh, a bit of a challenge for folks where where some of the the businesses and and other entities are not accepting that as a valid form of identification, despite the fact that it is a valid government issued ID with uh, with a photo and and identifying information on it. Um, and so this is our continued support of the Washington ID project, uh, making sure that. Uh, our local uh, form of identification is an accepted uh, use. Um, we've been in communication with some of the bigger uh, uh, businesses. I know that that Meyer, for example, was one that we'd received some some complaints about, and Meyer immediately responded saying that they were going to work with us to make sure that employees were trained to know that the Washington ID was valid ID. Um, and so, uh, th there's a lot of work that's gone into this. It started when I was on the commission as liaison. It has continued uh, with, with Councilmember Song and Ghazi Edwin. Um, and I also just want to thank Attorney Radabaugh for her work with the commission in moving this forward. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. C3, an ordinance to amend Chapter 19, Tax Exemptions for Housing Projects of Title I of the Code of the City of Arbor. Moved by Councilmember Iyer, second by Councilmember Ackman. Discussion, please, of C3. Councilmember Briggs. I just wanted to provide an opportunity for Director Hall to provide a little information about this if she so chooses to. Ms. Hall. Ms. Hall will be joining us on Zoom. I said that took so long. Um, I actually want to thank Chris Frost. He spent a lot of time uh, working on amending this ordinance with the attorney for Mishta, who oversees this at the state. It's There's a lot of very specific um, language changes that for the most part is trying to make this consistent with uh, state statute but the reason we brought it forward now um, is two primary reasons one was to allow projects that are targeting um, what's called income averaging um, I know the city and myself we promoted uh, affordable housing for households at 60% of median income or less there are different programs, including the low-income housing tax credit program that has changed a couple of years ago that allows a project to qualify for the tax credit program, um, serving households up to 80% of median income as long as they are also serving households at lower income so that they have an average of 60% of median income. And the intent is to provide an incentive uh, to have some of the lower rents uh, set aside for lower income households. So that's one of the most significant changes. Um, in order to do that, uh, we needed to change the pilot ordinance. Uh, there are some other changes that are related to just clarifying language about what projects are eligible. And the other most significant change to the language, but it doesn't have really in, any impact on projects, is that we had two different types of projects that were eligible. One was based on income and the other one was based on elderly undefined. And we realized in our research that all the projects that are currently um, eligible for elderly under this ordinance actually are also eligible at 60% of median income. However, the elderly um, tax exemption in the past 
the projects paid 4% of rents towards uh, taxes, and those that were eligible under the 60% of median income only paid $1 per unit per year. So we just made that consistent, uh, removed the elderly um, component, which wasn't ever really part of the state statute. Um, and so projects would all be eligible under the same $1 per unit per year. And just a note for those of you who are new to this um, ordinance, which I probably should have said right up front, but sorry about that. Uh, this allows for a tax exemption for qualified uh, housing for affordable housing. And the um, qualified project, there's, it's very specific. So it's not just because you're providing housing for households at 60% of AMI or less, you also have other thresholds you have to pass that's in the state statute. Um, and so this allows all these projects to qualify under the $1 per unit per year uh, tax exemption. And I think if Chris has anything to add, I will allow him to do that. Thank you. Thanks, Jennifer. I don't have anything to add. But I'm available to answer questions if anybody has any. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DB1, resolution to approve 350 North Division Street PUD site plan. Moved by Councilmember Dish, second by Councilmember Harrison. Discussion, please, of DB1. Councilmember Dish. We've already heard a lot about the merits of this building, so I will only remind you we are asked here to approve the site plan, and so it's appropriate to speak of some of the details of the site plan. Uh, just want to remind you that the project replaces a blighted site with a biophilic building. All the tenants will be able to enjoy the outdoors from their unit, and the grounds will feed pollinators that use the Huron River Flyway. Um, the building will be net zero plus 5%, which means that it produces more energy than it consumes. It will have low flow water faucets. And it's really important also to realize that this project is recycling the existing building into the new building, which will be made with sustainable products. So um, there are so many boxes that this ticks in terms of our sustainability goals. And as uh, Mr. Selby, who spoke earlier as the developer, remarked, it, it is meant to be an example of what can be done. And we need more of that. So I will be voting in support and I hope you will join me. Further discussion? Councilmember Ackman. So uh, I guess I'll be the next person to tout all the wonderful things about this. I'm really excited about it. I think we obviously need more housing. This is exactly the kind of development that I think that we want, that we talk about in our A20 plan. Um, all these green features that are in line with our carbon neutrality goals, producing more energy than it uses. Um, you know, gentle density, again, you know, just pointing to the fact that this is already a non-conforming structure, allowing four units. Um, I'm really interested in the approach that the developer is taking to making this at a cost savings and also his dedication to education, because I think that doing this kind of project is really innovative. It requires a lot of learning, and I think it is... Uh, completely accurate to say that we need to have more carrots and things that we can, blueprints that we can transfer to other projects. So I'm just really excited about his commitment to that too. And I'll be supporting this. Council Member Briggs. 
I too am very excited about this project. Um, I appreciate um, and want to thank Mr. Selby for persevering um, to get this project to us. Um, this is an incredible project, um, not only for us locally, but um, it's, it's a model project. Um, and I think we have a lot to learn from this project in terms of what we can do better as a city to um, facilitate this type of work moving um, in the future. Um, it's taken five years to get to us, um, and I'm, I'm not saying that that is all on, you know, on, on our plate, but it is um, something that we certainly want to work to, to expedite these projects um, so that they be, can become even more affordable. So I know we're doing a review of our development process right now, and I think this is one of the, um, one of the developments um, that we should take a really close look at um, and identify you know, what lessons can be learned so that we can improve moving forward. Further discussion? Councilmember Cornell. So we have been taught, we have thrown out a couple times living building challenge and I just want to highlight what that really means and how difficult it is to actually accomplish this. So really quickly, um, living building challenge has seven performance categories. They consider it like petals on a flower. So place, water, energy, health and happiness, materials, equity and beauty. So these are a lot of factors that are contributing to what can actually happen with this building that benefits our community. Um, and I think it's really noteworthy to say that there are only 390 living building challenge um, buildings right now that they're actually pursuing this um, designation. You have to prove that you've been energy efficient over time, so it's a time, you know, it's a, a process that takes time, but there are only 15 fully certified living building challenge um, recipients or designated um, facilities. And that's, that's across the world. So this is a huge commitment to the environment and setting a real standard that um, if the developer's vision around um, you know, creating the next generation of, of builders and tradespeople who understand how this works and using it as a model, that's, that's I think, something our community really wants to have here. Um, and it's, it's not easy. So this is not a project where um, the builder is, or the developer is taking the easy route. He's actually going the hardest possible route to um, achieve some of our A20 goals, and I'm, I'm very much supportive of it. Or, oh, Councilmember Song, my apologies. I just wanted to, to note the timeline that, that um, the developer has gone under, and if we are all in an agreement that this is a model project, I would hope that the message isn't that developers have to wait five years to, to develop the model project in our city and that the PUD is the route. I mean, I think PUD is supposed to, is a designation for flexibility and land use um, and to encourage innovation in a timely manner. I hope our future discussions and, and future reviews can talk about that a little bit more because if we're all in an agreement, then perhaps this is where we talk a little bit more in the comprehensive plan and uh, not force developers to go through a five-year route at cost, um, just as we ourselves as you know, homeowners don't, are unlikely to sell at market or below market rate. The expectations for developers seems um, a bit high. Um, so I just, I just want to point out that you know, this is uh, I'm glad that we have support on council and support, support in community, but it sounds like we have a lot more work to do on, on our end, on the city, to encourage this on a more regular basis. Thanks. 
Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DS1, resolution authorizing summary publication of Ordinance 23-2 and Ordinance to amend Chapter 55, Stormwater Management Systems of Chapter 55, Unified Development Code of Title V of the Code of the City of Ann Arbor, moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Ackman. Discussion, please, of DS1. All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DC1, resolution to commence a collaborative planning process between the University of Michigan and the City of Ann Arbor for the rehabilitation, widening, and non-motorized transportation enhancement of the East Medical Center Bridge. Moved by Council Member Cornell, second by Council Member Iyer. Discussion, please, of DC1. Mr. Duhoney. Mayor, the staff is suggesting that this item be postponed until the next meeting. May I have a motion, please? Moved by Councilor Briggs, second by Councilor Ackman, to postpone until our next meeting. Discussion of the postponement. All in favor? Opposed? It is postponed. DC2, resolution to recommend approval of issuance of a downtown development district liquor license to Liberty Drinks LLC. Moved by Councilmember Briggs, second by Councilmember <laughs> Councilmember Dish. <laughs> Seconded by Councilmember Adina. Discussion, please. All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DC3, resolution to revise and amend approved participating enhanced uh, establishments of the Main Street Social District. Moved by Councilmember Cornell, seconded by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion, please, of DC3. Councilmember Dish. Just in case there's any question, um, this does not change the existing social district's parameters. It simply reflects changes that have occurred to um, businesses that may no longer exist or that may newly have become part of the social, may, may newly have opened within the existing parameters of the social district. It's straightforward. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DC4 resolution recognizing Temple Beth Emmett as a civic nonprofit organization operating in Ann Arbor for the purpose of obtaining a charitable gaming license. Moved by Councilmember Rodina, seconded by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion, please, of DC4. All in favor? Opposed? It is. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. I was just going to say what it was about briefly. Councilmember Ackman, let us. Okay. Let us. Basically, really pretty straightforward, but um, they're applying for a charitable gaming um, license with the state. I think in order to get this from the state, they need this recognition from the city. So that's what this is about now that it's been approved. <laughs> Have I, did I declare it? About? I actually got lost. Did I actually take, did we take the vote on that? Sort of. All in favor? Opposed? It's double approved. Ms. Cord, do we have a do we have the pleasure of a closed session today? Yes, we do, Mayor. I'm requesting a closed session under MCL 15.268H to review a privilege and confidential legal advice memo issued to Council on February 3rd, 2023. May I have a motion, please, to go into closed session on that basis. Moved by Councilmember Cornell, second by Councilmember Iyer. Discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with. We haven't done any roll call votes. Mayor, we start with you tonight. It's a deal. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Ackman? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Councilmember Cornell? Yes. 
Councilmember Dish? Yes. Councilmember Harrison? Yes. Councilmember Song? Yes. Councilmember Watson? Absent. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Councilmember Ghazi Edwin? Absent. Motion carries. Thank you.